Ideas have consequences, and consequences have ideas. If we don't learn how to think carefully, we will never be able to live rightly. So welcome to Think Through It, a podcast for conversation among friends encouraging one another to think through it. Well, I'm joined by Trevin. Now, I, you know, we knew each other in seminary, but I didn't know you that well. You were like one of the really smart guys, and I was just kind of the stupid guy at Duck and Goose. And I always would like look at guys like you. I remember, I remember you being around and being like, "Man, I'm going to be like a horrible pastor because all these guys are, oh man, like the next John Piper." And you know, who am I? But, uh, but anyway, I mean, we sort of know each other a long time. But it's really good to be with you, and and I love the work that the Lord's led you to do. And if y'all don't know Trevin, he's basically built gospel project and he's written several books and um, you got amazing podcasts and great resources, but you've done this new kind of pivot to Nam, which is exciting to me yeah. as a North American church planter. Yeah. Uh, how's, how's that been going? It's been fantastic. So two years in we, I, I've been able to, to oversee a, a resources team that is, is really just wanting to bless pastors and church planters with all kinds of resources for free. So it's fun. Like I get to help develop and get out the door resources that, that people can use. So newchurches.com, we do eBooks, we've done video courses. We're doing a, uh, a, a curriculum with Vance Pittman for churches that's coming out um, this summer that I'm really excited about that really will trying to help move members, uh, church members to being on mission, you know, to, to really seeing themselves as living on mission. Um, so yeah, and, and just a lot of different projects that we've been able to be able to, to, to put together and be a part of. Well, I think that's so fantastic. And obviously I am so encouraged with what the Lord has done through the North American mission board. Um, you know, really, I mean, for, for the history of the North American mission board, particularly since Kevin's been there and then even just this kind of new iteration, uh, you know, with Vance and Matt and you, and just there's there's this really cool team that's being built right now. Um, uh, you know, several of you guys are coming to the uh, the Duck and the Goose conference next year, yeah. which we're really excited about. I'm excited about it too. You also, Trevin also does work with Gospel Coalition, and a lot of the Gospel Coalition guys are involved with Duck and Goose stuff too. So we're we're really excited about. Um, I'm excited about hanging out with you then. But for now. Um, I just wanted to have a conversation uh, with Trevin. Uh, you've done so, much, so many interesting things. I would say that the arc of your work um, is really, I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, three of our values uh, at Christ Covenant are, you know, our values are gospel centrality, gospel clarity, gospel fluency, kingdom family, kingdom ambassadors, and then what we call great commandment and great commission ministry. I would say like the arc of your work in that first kind of gospel piece of the pie, gospel centrality, gospel clarity, gospel fluency. I mean, that, that seems to be a heartbeat of yours. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit of the story. I, 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 I know we don't know each other that well. I think that we kind of had a similar, I mean, you mentioned, uh, I was just at this breakfast with Trevin and you mentioned the resource plugged in, um, which brought back like horrors from my childhood when my mom would see what, like read about the new CD that I had bought and, uh, <laughs> make me throw it away or something. So, I mean, I, I kind of feel like we, we had a little bit of a similar vibe, in our, our childhoods, but what, I, I say, what gave you this passion, this desire, uh, toward a gospel centrality, toward a gospel fluency, toward a gospel clarity? You no, know, I think it was for me, um, 
I, I grew up in a in a an independent Baptist Christian school and church, and that was a a, a, a sometimes a challenging place to be because uh, there was a lot of focus on on what we're supposed to, you know, how we're how we're supposed to uh, behave, how you're supposed to live. So it was a lot about hey, this is what a Christian does, not as much of a focus on what makes a Christian in the first place, right. like what a Christian is, like what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus at the heart level, uh, not just at the I mean, behavior level. simplicity, yeah, a more man-centered kind of behavior thing rather than a God's grace yes. kind of thing. Yeah. A little more moralistic, right. just in like this is the way you please God. Um, I We were, growing up as a teenager, though, I had some, I had some really good experiences in a student ministry and uh that really led me to mission and so i wound up spending several years in romania as a college student doing mission work and that for me was vital because it was like i was you've got to get clear on the gospel so if you you're were going to, you go were going to college and living in romania <laughs> that's How did, right at okay. the same time i went wow. to a christian university there i bought a one-way ticket when i was 19 i wow. lived there for five years uh, I met, I married my wife there. We had our first son while we were still living there. That was a very formative time of my life because it was, it was cross-cultural mission at the very start of my ministry. And so it gave me... And this is before you went to seminary. It is. I was doing, yeah. So I you was, went to, what years were you at Southern? Uh, I was, I was on campus at Southern like mid 2005 until early 2007. And then I was... Uh, I did the rest of it uh, through Bike Extension Center. Okay, so I was there 04 to 07. Like so yeah. we yeah, so we, we had some overlap. Right, yeah. Um, but, you know, it was, for me, that cross-cultural experience, I think, was, you when, when you're doing ministry in a very different context, in a different language, with a different, you know, cultural sensibilities, you have to be able to determine what is essential and core yeah. versus what are cultural things. And so... I, I realized, yeah, Romania's got a lot of cultural things that are not essential in core, and some right. of them think they are, but so do we Americans. And that and that kind of leads to a shift in mindset. You know, I, I've heard, I know Trevor and I are both big fans of Tim Keller. I've heard him talk about, like, the insider-outsider and, like, the necessity yeah. of that helps you see your own yes. kind of cultural nuances or blind spots, whatever you want to call it, cultural blind spots. Yeah. But, yeah, so so you that was the beginning of your ministry yes. in a context where it was easy for you to see what is coming out of the heart of Christ and what is just an American invention or a Romanian invention or whatever. So Yeah, and it's it's hard. I mean, it's, it's served me well, though, over the years because I think— you know, and you know this too, as a pastor, I mean, some of the things we have to do in, in leadership is to help our people understand those areas where there can be good faith disagreement, where people are going to just come down on, with different instincts or sensibilities, sure, or different yeah. perspectives. I'm not saying they're all right, <coughs> or they're all, you know, that every every position is right, but you it it lowers the temperature on some of that stuff when you recognize what's what's truly core, what orthodoxy is, what does it mean to actually be a, a faithful Christian and then what are those areas where faithful Christians sometimes aren't going to see eye to eye and are going to have good debates and try to persuade each other and things like that? So your first book that I remember, I know it was your second book, but the first book that I guess I remember, and I, I remember like getting it, you know, you know, maybe I bought it, maybe I got it at a conference or something, but I remember like, oh yeah, I remember this guy kind of from seminary, but then the book was so helpful and so good, Counterfeit Gospels, um, and you walk through... Uh, all of these things that that feel very much like the gospel, uh, or I think a lot of people that are of these persuasions, 
would call themselves Christians. Um, but they're really believing something that is is very different from the gospel. And so we we try to capture this in what we call gospel clarity. You know, what is the gospel? What is not the gospel? Or what is a counterfeit? I mean, I like that language. Um, so I, I'm curious, like, and, you know, I'm curious if you were to, well, well first of all, you know, for those of of the listeners that are not familiar with that book. Yeah. Kind of, why did you write the book? Tell us a little bit about the book. Um, how, what, what kind of reaction have you seen to that? You know, I wanted to do a book that would bring that kind of clarity you're talking about. And so one of the best ways to do that is to talk about what the true gospel is right. and then what are some of the things that people fall for. And the reality is, it's like you said, if there's not any truth to it, people wouldn't fall for it. Right. Like there's gotta be something in there that at least, lines up like there is morality in christianity of course yeah, yeah. so it, it, there that, is that, activism in christianity that's right. right so like what you know a gospel that leads to social activism is absolutely essential a gospel that is social activism is a counterfeit a, a gospel that leads to more uh to a, a a particular way of life that changes your behavior and your actions is actually is is essential a gospel that becomes a moralistic way of life or that do you see that as earning salvation not a gospel that is about that leads to us finding joy and happiness in God is essential. A gospel that is all about us pursuing happiness in the way that we define it ourselves is a counterfeit. counterfeit so gospel. In all of these different ways, um, you know, the gospel births the church. So the church is essential to the purposes of God. But um, a, a church, an understanding of the gospel that is only individualistic, with no real ramifications for the community or uh, no understanding that we are adopted into the family of God. That's a counterfeit. So the idea was this book, it would be a way to even help me get it clear in my own mind. What are we saying when we say we believe the gospel and how does it line up with, um, uh, or how does it not line up with some of these more superficial versions that, you know, too easily uh, have sway in our hearts and in our churches. You, you more recently published a book, The Thrill of Orthodoxy. Uh, and, and, it, and it feels like in that book, you're, you're trying to kind of say, look, guys, like we don't have to apologize for the core foundational Christian beliefs. In fact, when we understand them, they actually bring the they actually bring true beauty. They're actually thrilling, like the story of God uh, still sells. Like, yeah. let's just seek to understand it and 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 form our lives to it. I, I'm curious, like, what was your. What was the impetus behind that? And and it, it kind of feels like in, in in a different way you're doing a similar thing in that book as you as you were doing in, in Counterfeit. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like in some ways you know you're writing you're 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 taking on some of the same subjects but from different or deeper angles. And the the thrill of orthodoxy for me was all about look every generation needs their book that says listen theology really matters right yeah doctrine really matters it's not dusty it's not boring it can't. It can be taught boring, but it's not if you really understand. And and Christianity, rightly understood, not conforming to the world, but actually standing out, that's where the adventure is. Like so much of the time, it feels like we're, tr- we're either, we're diminishing the power of grace to make it more palatable, or we're diminishing the power of uh, God's justice to make it more palatable, or we're diminishing uh, some of the the, the essential elements of Christianity saying, well, they're not practical, they're not relevant. And what I wanted to do with that was to really awaken the heart to wonder again at the beauty of the gospel and to say, no, this really matters. This like doctrine really is right, important. Right, right. You know, what comes to mind is 1 Corinthians 1, you know, the Jews want signs. 
the Greeks want wisdom. Yeah. You know, everybody's like, let's make it the gospel better. Let's make it more exciting. Let's give it signs. Or let's make it more practical. You know, just give me a little tip for how to get better at business or whatever. Yeah. You know, um, and, 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 it's, and, and it says, of course, but we only have, like, the only thing that really is the gospel is Christ crucified. I mean, Folly to the Greeks. Everybody everywhere is a doing that. stumbling there. block yeah. to the, but then he says, but to those of us who are called. Yeah. It's the wisdom and the power of God. And I think that's what you're saying. Like, like when you really see orthodoxy, it's like, oh, this is actually wisdom. Yeah. This is actually power. Um, and so I love and it's that. it's exhilarating. Yes. Yeah, it really is exhilarating. Like everybody, like everybody's doing the other stuff. You can get tips for business or totally. for family or whatever in any other setting. Like just and, go, you know, go and on like, social media. And like everything else does, the other stuff wears you out. Right. Because it doesn't come with the power of God. It doesn't, it, 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 it depends on the power of man. So true. Uh, so I want to go back to counterfeit. If you, I asked you beforehand, if you were to write counterfeit today, would you add another counterfeit to your list? Um, how would you talk about those counterfeits or, or how would you, is there something you would talk about in a different way, maybe? Yeah, so I did six counterfeits. Uh, see if I can remember them because it's been a while now. But uh, a therapeutic gospel of churchless, uh, a, a moralistic, quietist. a judgmentless gospel, a churchless, an activist, and a quietist. So yeah, I got them all. Um, I think what's interesting in the last decade is that I didn't really expect this to happen. But the 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 activist gospel has grown in significance in that people from different sides have actually like different kinds of activists are duking it out as to like, what is the, what is appropriate to the play to, to the point where I really do feel like a, the cross can be supplanted by a good cause, even totally. a righteous cause. Totally. And so you have, you have in the last decade or so, you've got a lot of people that might've seen themselves as more quietist. Hey, the gospel is just about spirituality. The gospel does, isn't as concerned with the social order or whatnot have really moved into uh no, the gospel, the gospel means we got to take back our country and we got to do this or that. At the same time, you've had like the, you know, the rise of uh, new energy around, you know, uh, um, the, uh, the, the left or, you know, the woke or whatever on the, on, on the left. So you bite, you basically have these two groups that are both fairly, in, involved in uh, um, uh, in in a, a politicized version of the of the faith that are kind of duking it out. So the activist version, in my mind, I was I was warning against the social gospel in that. But there's I, two, there, yeah. But there was, you know, I heard Russ Moore say about a slippery slope in both directions. That's right. Yeah. yeah there's a, and I think that was like a really profound statement because yes, you can you can warn against the social gospel so much. That then you just become anti woke, and that's your that's your version that's your, of that's a social your gospel. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, your your social gospel is voting or supporting policies that are against the policies you don't like, which is basically the mirror image of policies. The answer. And look, and I think Christians should be politically engaged and politically involved. I even think there's a place for partisanship in in in. Uh, uh, among Christians, I'm not talking about churches, but among Christians that are, you know, we, we, we want Christians. Well, you have are, to, at some point, like systematize your political beliefs. Of course. Right. And so, of course, I mean, of yeah. course there's a place for parties and collections of people. Yes. I mean, yeah. But it's way downstream from what is essential and core to, to Christianity. And well, and, and I, you know, I mean, and obviously what we're saying has been said, I feel like a million times over the last five years, but you know, the, the, uh, you know, obviously our, our loyalty to, and, and this is something that, you know, I was going to ask you about 2024, but as we 
kind of get into this, something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Certainly, there is not, there's nothing wrong with, you know, being a Republican or being a Democrat or being whatever. Um, and I would even say that, like, Christians, you know, um, there there are Christian reasons to vote, you know, for this candidate or for that candidate or, or for whoever. But to your point, like, because it's downstream, so because fundamentally, primarily, I see myself as a citizen in the household of God, because I see myself fundamentally as uh, a co-citizen with my other brothers and sisters in, in the Lord, the way that I then talk about those things should be with a consideration toward those people. And so that's, I think, what we've missed, you know, is we've been so passionate about these political things and we say, well, I shouldn't have to apologize for how I talk about this. I shouldn't have to, you know, this is a free country. I can believe this. And it's like, well, you know, you're, you're free to believe those things, but the application of how you like live these things out, how you talk about these things, especially in such a, uh, you know, an explosive age. Um, it's it's kind of like, you know, an analogy that's coming to mind right now. It's like, like there's a certain bedside manner that like doctors should have, right? And it's like, you could say, well, that doctor killed the diagnosis, but they just went up and said like, you're dying of cancer, da, 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 with no tenderness or whatever. You would say that's a bad doctor, even though they actually might get the science right. But there's a certain bedside manner necessary to be a good doctor. And I think, in the same kind of way, the, you know, it's not wrong for us to have political convictions toward one side or the other, but our, my dog's in here, so sorry about the noise, but, um, but I, the, the problem becomes, I think, with the bedside manner. How do we apply those to our fellow citizens in the household of God who we are fundamentally more tied to than the other, so? Yeah, I, you know, one of the, one of the connections in the Counterfeit Gospels book that if I were to rewrite it today, I think I might add is that, there really is a, um, there's also a connection between the activist gospel and the judgmentless gospel. Because when you, when you lose a sense of eternal judgment, that e- eternity is at stake in, you know, when we call people to repent and believe the gospel, and that there really is a hell, and that there really is, that, that you know, what, what the Bible teaches, what Jesus warns about is true. Um, when, you, when you lower the stakes of that and that goes away, it's not that, you know, the... When you lower the heavenly stakes, earthly stakes get raised. Right. And so for a lot of people, the fundamental battle is one against flesh and blood. It is what's happening politically. Totally. Rather than what is actually taking place spiritually behind some of those political battles. And so that's one of my concerns is I want people to realize, okay, the bedside manner that you're talking about or the the way that we treat people with civility and respect and that we're, we're trying to persuade rather than just, you know, lob grenades from this camp to the other. Um, if We might be on the right side of an issue and still be worldly in the way that we're fighting 100%. for the cause. And so what I want to say is if eternity really matters, then the weapons that we're using, if they're worldly weapons, that matters. That that matters. That's that's a um, that's something that we've got to 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 watch out for. Well, because there's a bigger there's a bigger battle going on than what is the battle for Washington D.C. Yeah, the most succinct uh, statement is you know the it's become famous now, but the Robert Jeffress like I don't want a turn the other cheek kind of candidate. I want the meanest sob candidate I can find that will go fight for us. Right. So maybe he's fighting for the right things. I mean, that's not the point of this thing. But you're saying let's forsake, you know, 
the character of Christ and and let's go after it. And what, what ends up happening is that creeps into the character of how then we live. We see that as noble. We see that as, as good. And so I think like that idea of like what what weapons are we using to fight for the right things itself actually is important. Um, Jesus has to do his formation in us. He, he has to kind of reign in our hearts before he can reign in the culture. And I think sometimes we say, well, if he, we want him to reign in the culture and we're, we're willing to become like the culture in order for that to happen. Yeah, I, um, don't, I, I think the... You can you can lose you can win a political battle and still lose your soul. Yeah, that's and I right. don't and I and I think we've got to we we've got to be the ones if we're not the ones pointing to the transcendent realities here that are behind a lot of these earthly battles. Who's going to do that? That's right. Like if we're not really looking at the souls of the people that we're trying to persuade, the people that were that may be on the other side of an issue with us or may see the world in very different ways than we do, if we don't care about those souls and if we don't are are we don't have a transcendent underpinning as to what it is that is actually taking place here. Look beyond the earthly battlefield to the powers and principalities behind a lot of totally. current divisions. Then who is going to lift our eyes? We're, we're, who is going to actually raise our, our, our view above some of the, the, the day to day. So that that's a burden of mine. Well, and Jesus tells us how the kingdom's supposed to go forward. It, it, there's a hiddenness that's like kind of built in. Like it's like the leaven it's like the mustard seed. It, it, it's not this big overpowering thing. Like the kingdom of God doesn't go forward in the same way that worldly kingdoms go forward. No, no. And the church is where the, 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 the crucial action is taking place. So, I mean, a lot, I think we tend to give more attention to what's happening, or we tend to think the most important things are happening in the, the, you know, in Silicon Valley, in Washington, DC, in these places of cultural influence at some level. The most important things that are happening, really, though, if we were to actually look at the world with, with, like, unveiled, the most important things that are happening are happening in local congregations where brothers and sisters are loving one another in the name of the Lord, where the gospel is being preached, where the sacraments are being uh, received, where where uh, uh, people are coming to faith in Christ, where baptism is taking place. Like that's that is really the center of where the spiritual drama is. Yeah, and and, and going back to First Corinthians one, like I I I would just encourage the called that are listening to this podcast like the called see that see what happens to their church on sunday morning see what happens in their sunday school class as the wisdom and the power of god in a world that says give me signs give me wisdom give me power give me money we, those who are called see no 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 it's it's christ and him crucified it's the cross-shaped life it's the moving down rather than moving up it's the humbling yourself it's the sacrifice that actually is the wisdom and the power of god um, and so, yeah, it, it, but look, I mean, let's be honest. It's very easy in an age like ours to, it's very easy to be blinded from that. It's very easy to get distracted away from that. And so, again, one of the reasons I'm grateful for, you know, a guy like you producing resources that pull us back into this. Um, I'm curious, like with some of your work with North America and, uh, and just, you know, Trevin and I are both Southern Baptist and, and think about SBC stuff uh, and what can these churches do together? I think that's an important conversation. Um, what are you seeing? Like, what makes you hopeful? What are some diagnostics that you would say, hey, you know, we might need to focus on this a little more and maybe on this a little less. Like, how, how would you think about that? Particularly since, I mean, you work with Lifeway. You've been around 
uh, you know, SBC churches for a long time, but, but how would you teach us um, from the chairs that you've been able to sit in? Yeah. I mean, I, what makes me hopeful <laughs> is I just, I see so much good gospel work. I, I get to, I get a front row seat at a lot of good gospel work going on across the, the country. I, when I, when I see how Southern Baptists mobilize when disasters take place, for example, yeah. like on the front lines everywhere worldwide, not just in the U S but, but even beyond that is, is something that, that really cheers me. And we don't, we don't really toot our own horn about that. We don't get, we don't, we don't get a lot of, you know, kudos from the world too often on stuff like right, that. Yeah. We're often known for other things, but this, it's one of the things that's really encouraging is just God's people being God's people. Um, running with arms outstretched to places of deep suffering. I, I love seeing that. I When I think about, you know, the hundreds of churches that are planted every year, there are other networks and denominations that their entire network or denomination is a few hundred churches. We'll plant that many in a year. And another thing that excites me about that is that a lot of, we are, we are growing in our ability to reach different communities in North America that are, you know, first generation immigrant, second generation right. immigrant, or that are, so, we, you know, regardless of people's perspectives politically, like what's going on, you know, demographically in the United States, and there's a lot of, I think, good conversations to be had about things like that. We have the mission field we have, and we got to respond to it. And so one of the exciting things to see in a lot of those church plants that are taking place in the last few years, especially a really large percentage of those are not English speaking, right? They're Spanish speaking, they're Korean, they're, you know, Vietnamese, like we, and so I, I think there's, uh, the, it, it's been, it's been exciting to watch, um, us get better at, um, really looking at the mission field, recognizing that a lot of what we used to just relegate or think was international missions is also happening here in North America where we've got to be culturally aware and make strides in that, in those areas. And so those are some things that really give me a, a lot of, a lot of hope for the future. As I think about the Southern Baptist convention transforming from being predominantly, you know, a, a, a Southern white uh, uh, denomination, but really beginning to reflect more and more uh, all of North America. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the work that Southern Baptists are doing, as particularly as it relates to church planning, you know, if this keeps up in 50 years, uh, it will really be a, or even maybe in 25 years, you know, it will really be a very diverse grouping of of people in churches. One of the things that I, I'd love for us to to grow in is just our ability to do kind of city center ministry. I know that's been a focus of NAM. Uh, and I think that we have, you know, I mean, I think that Southern Baptist, I mean, I would grade Southern Baptist. And again, I'm, I love what NAM is doing. I'd grade kind of our focus on cities, you know, give it an A, but, but a lot of that has been kind of around the more suburban ribbons of those cities. And so I'd love to see kind of a, a next iteration of more uh, of more of a push to urban core ministry, city, city center centers, ministry. Yeah. Um, you know, have you thought about that? I mean, what is that conversation like? Um, and you know, what what maybe fundamentally needs to change for us to get better at that? Yeah, there's. I mean, there there have been some really good strides in that direction. We still have a long way to go, I think, before we're 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 really. Um, doing that across the board well in every context. Um, one of the interesting things is there's been a migration to cities, but then there's also, but COVID has led in some situations to a migration back out of, outside of, of, of city centers. And so there's, 
So demographically, there's a lot of shift and I don't know exactly how things are going to line up, you know, where, where we're going to be in the next 15 to 20 years. Um, as I look at the research, it's just not clear. Yeah. Self-driving cars. Like what impact does yes. all this stuff have yeah. on where people are going to live? Um, the, the reality is though, it's, it's for me, it's not so much a question of city versus suburban versus rural. It's really a question of how can we get better at planting different kinds of churches for different kinds of people? Because, because reality, the reality is culturally, even, even it, it, it's, it's almost, it's almost too much to even look at um, like a suburban church plant and, and assume that's going to be the same no matter where you are. Right. Um, it, that, that's really going to matter if it's a city outside of um, say Boston than if it's a city outside of um, Atlanta, for right. example, where we are now. So, so even saying, oh, we, you know, we need to get better at, you know, uh, city centers or, you know, we, we maybe we're, we lean heavily on suburban or whatnot. It really is going to depend on the, the location and the culture of whatever that city center is or whatever that, because, I mean, then you have the whole conversations about gentrification and what's sure. taking place all across the, the country. So, um, but, but, but I think, I think we've, we've made some strides. I think we've got a long way to go. I think one of the challenges that we face in the SBC is recognizing that missiology presses us into some areas where I got a church planting friend of mine who just says things get gospel awkward. <laughs> like just people, when, when God brings together people from different backgrounds, from different, you know, sin struggles, from different rescues, people from different ways of life, um, it, it's not easy. It's messy. Sure. And it's not, it's not, you know, it, especially when you're doing that kind of frontline ministry, it can be really tough. And I think we got to get better at Southern Baptist at recognizing and kind of embracing the gospel awkward as that's actually the sign that God's really at work and he's saving people that are coming from all different streams. Well, and that, that, I mean, man, I, yes. And amen. I mean, the, the inability, I think, uh, and, and we're all guilty of this, but the inability of some people to understand the different contexts of gospel ministry. And that, that itself is the beauty of Christianity is that Christianity um, is, is actually rightly applied when it's contextualized to the current culture and contextualization doesn't mean lessening the gospel or moving away from orthodoxy. It's bringing orthodoxy to bear in that particular place. Right. Right. We don't have to turn, um, you know, the Philippines is a good example. Like, I mean, a lot of churches in the Philippines kind of look like churches in like Montgomery, Alabama, because like the way that that era of missiology was, was like, first, let's make them Americans. Then we can make them Christians. Um, or and, thinking that that was both the same, that was kind of the same, the same thing. thing. Right. Like, I don't know that a lot of well-intentioned missionaries over the years have just have sort of imported some cultural expectations that, they just sort of associated themselves with this is the Christian way of doing it. And, and I'm not, but at our best, we've not always done. I mean, Lottie moon, for example, was controversial sure. for the, her contextualization ministry and the way she would dress and the way she, so I, I think we've got in our DNA really good contextualization where we've been able to differentiate between cultural trappings and the core of the gospel we we just got to get better at doing that in the states. I agree. Yeah, and not and not critiquing the contextualization of others, but actually listening to realize like actually this person's being faithful to 
you know, to the gospel. And, and, and the way that they have to interpret those things for the people living around them is different than the way I might do it in X or Y setting. Um, and so that, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that's an area where we can grow as a partnership of churches. Um, really, you know, having that instinct to, to really be for one another uh, and to celebrate, you know, the good work of, of different contexts. Because like you said, like it is, uh, the way that the gospel is applied in different contexts is just, it's, it's going to be different. There's, there's, and, and that's always been true, right? I mean, think about when the Jewish people were like, wait a second, don't you have to be circumcised, you know, to be part of the people of God? I mean, this, this was a debate going on. Uh, New Testament era. Yeah, the, the, from the very earliest ages of people coming to faith that were not a part of a particular kind of cultural, you know, uh, regime. Uh, 2024. Let's talk about that. People have, everybody's coming to me and say, are you nervous about 2024? Uh, and, and, you know, of course the election cycle, a lot of people are traumatized by 2016 and by 2020. And of course, you know, I would say particularly in 2020, there was a lot of other things going on. Um, uh, you know, everything with George Floyd, everything with the pandemic, um, you know, as you think about 2024 and not just particularly about the political aspect of our age, but 2024 in general, what do we have to look forward to? How would you encourage pastors? Um, you know, what's a, what's a word that you would have for, for pastors in, for this particular year? I, I don't think you, I don't think pastors can avoid speaking to issues that are going to be seen by some as political. So I think the idea that you can be completely apolitical and never say anything that touches on anything that's going to relate to politics is, is naive because discipleship is all of life and politics is one aspect of our life. Yeah. And some of the issues that whether we like it or not, they get politicized, but they're issues that Christianity speaks to. So, you know, I mean, you mentioned racism or talked about George, George Floyd. I mean, racism is a sin. It has to be addressed. Um, uh, taking unborn life is a sin. It has to be addressed. Uh, some of the confusion today about gender and sexuality, we, we have to address things like that. Um, I think what in, 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 my recommendation for pastors, though, I this sounds cliche, but I think at the end of the day, though, we'd still have to keep the main thing the main thing and recognize uh, this This could be a this year, like any other year, people are going to be in a fevered pitch about what's taking place politically, um, as is always the case. A gazillion people are going to say it's the most important election of our lifetimes, which right. that I've, there's been... I've only li- I, I, I'm 42 years old, and there's been a bunch of most important uh, elections yeah, exactly, in my yeah. lifetime at this point. Yeah, we've already lived through like five of those. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, need yeah. A hist- I need a historian at the end of my life to tell me what was actually the most important. Right, right, in my yeah. Life, um, rather than telling me every four years it is. Um, the, but so, so I think everyone, there will be that fevered pitch, and politics is important. What I encourage pastors to do is um, lean in to the centrality of the gospel, remind people that the people across the political aisle are, you know, even if you see them as enemies, what does Jesus say to do with our enemies? Love you know, them. love our enemies. So like, what does that look like? It doesn't mean that you don't necessarily oppose policies or, or things that you think are unbiblical or are actually bad for, for the world, for society, for human flourishing. But it also means recognizing that we are, we are not the ones who demonize our well, and this gets back to what we were talking about before, having a Christian ethic of treating one another 
and not a worldly ethic. A worldly ethic would say, if you disagree with anything about my life or any part of my identity, sexual, political, whatever, you're against me. You know, you are an enemy. Right. A Christian ethic would say, you know, that there's, you, you can still love your enemy. You can still love the person who is your political enemy or whatever. And so, um, and I think that's where, yeah, that, that gets back to that gospel fluent or cross-shaped kind of life that is different from the age that, that we live in. You know, I, I, somebody gave me an analogy one time. I think it was, uh, I actually think it was Ben Dockery's pastor that said this, and I thought it was brilliant. Um, he was saying, you know, if you're carrying, I've got a coffee cup in my hand. He says, if you're carrying a coffee cup and it's like half full, if somebody bumps you, you know, they may not spill any. But if it's full to the brim and like somebody bumps you in the slightest way, they're going to they're gonna dump it everywhere. And I was like, man, I like that analogy because it it is, you know, especially in a year like 2024, it's just kind of how people are. Like the coffee cup is full. Like, it, you know, people are going to be on edge. People are going to be tense. And so I just think that's a great thing. I mean, this is not just for pastors, Christians. Just have that in mind. You know, uh, if you bump somebody, they, they may spill a little bit. So I think we can be peacemakers in, in an age of, you know, of, of tense, of, 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 a, of a tense moment of, uh, of, of no peace, of division, of rivalry. So, well, and Oliver O'Donovan's the guy who said that, you know, one of the most pointed political criticisms you can make is just to, uh, when the whole world is talking about something, talk about something else. Yeah. <laughs> like, like one of the best ways, like, and, and there is a sense in which, you know, you can get unmask the idolatry of politics in our time. I, I, I am concerned that I think politics for some has become a pseudo religion. Sure. Um, the way that people hold to that. To well, and that's what's so identity. dangerous about it. It's yeah. become this counterfeit gospel where they, you know, they slap Jesus's face on the politics, whatever political. Yeah. So it's really just have. politics, yeah. but they've taken the power of Jesus and, you know, man, you could see that on the left and the right. Totally. I mean, it is, I, mean it, I can point to examples <laughs> of people doing just that, where it's basically taking a political position, baptizing it with Christian lingo or, you know, make it, you know, and, and, and we, I think as conservative Christians, we're really good at seeing when like mainline denominations have done this with leftist policies and leftist, you know, uh, political. I, I think we also have got to recognize that's a temptation and tendency for some churches on the right as well. And even though statistically more, more progressive uh, churches tend to be more vocal about politics than more conservative churches do statistically, aside from the media narrative, uh, that danger is always there, and I think we've got to just make sure that we're not using the church as an instrument to some other means. When people talk about mobilizing the church for politics in either direction, a part of me just immediately tenses up. Totally. Because I'm like, we've already got a mobilization for a mission, and it's not political. At least not political, anything other than downstream from the implications of what our Great Commission well, is. Well, and that... And that- you know, that is the problem. I mean, one of the reasons that we've seen this uh, among, you know, mainline, you know, denominations is that there is less of an impact, impact on, or uh, uh, less of a, uh, what's the one I'm looking for here? Just a, a push toward global missions, toward evangelism. And so you have to kind of attach yourself to some kind of movementy thing, right? You know, more conservative Christians have been more, engaged in the mission of God, evangelism, mission. Um, but 
and this is a good warning, like attaching yourself to another movement dilutes and pulls you away from the actual movement that our Lord, that Jesus, has called us to. Um, and, and that's if we don't do that, who is going to do that? That's right. Like I, there are lots of people that are going to be involved in all kinds of activities, social ministries, gospel uh, uh, work in different places. Um, um, there's going to be people that are involved in um, that are going to feel called to politics, and which is good. The, the question that we got asked, though, is if the church doesn't keep the main thing, the main thing, the church doesn't keep the eternity, the eternal stakes that we've been talking about at the forefront, who else is That's going right. to do that? Yeah, and I think the mentality has been we've got to save the culture in order to save the gospel when really it's we have to have the gospel in order to save the culture. And if we lose the gospel, you know, we've lost everything, you know. Um, if we have the gospel, even the, the, the culture could be a total mess around us. And we have everything, but we could be in the perfect culture without the gospel. You know, I say perfect in air quotes here. Then, you know, what do we, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? That's right. And That's gain right. his and lose his soul. So well, what a great conversation. I know we could go on and I got to get back to Nashville, but this has been, uh, this has been fantastic, man. And just, I just want to say, I'm so grateful for you and so grateful for the work that you're doing. And I know the best is yet to come for Trevin Wax, and I'm, I'm so grateful that the Lord's led you to Nam, and uh, um, excited about some of the writing projects I know you're working on now. So thanks for being with us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, for Trevin Wax, I'm Jason Dees, encouraging you to think through it. Thanks for listening to Think Through It. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com.